Hi everyone, it's Dina McKay, and I'm back with a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged, the podcast that allows Blacks in tech to share their authentic stories with you, the listener. On each episode, the guest talks about how they got into tech, their work in the industry, and lessons they've learned during their journey. You can find full show notes for this episode, episode 34, on blacktechunplugged.com. On this episode, the first one of 2020, I have Paris Athena. Paris is a front-end developer who started a hashtag and movement on Twitter called hashtag Black Tech Twitter, bringing awareness and exposure to the Black community in the tech industry. She's also the founder of Black Tech Pipeline, a service-based platform connecting employers and opportunity extenders to Black technologists in the community. On this episode, we discuss how entering a boot camp was Paris's introduction to tech, how being laid off gave her many lessons during her tech journey, as well as why startup life isn't as glamorous as some of us may think it is. I hope you enjoy this episode, and if you do, make sure to rate and subscribe on the platform that you're listening to the episode today. Now let's get it. Hi, everyone. I have Paris Athena. Hey. So Paris, for my listeners who might not know who you are, could you give an introduction of yourself? Sure. So I'm Paris Athena. My real name is Paris Chandler, but everyone calls me Paris Athena. I'm creator of the hashtag and movement Black Tech Twitter and founder of Black Tech Pipeline. So let's talk about what is Black Tech Twitter for those who are unfamiliar with the movement. Um, So Black Tech Twitter is a movement bringing exposure and opportunity to the Black community in the tech industry. And Black Tech Pipeline is a platform for Black Tech Twitter to continue learning, collaborating, and taking advantage of new opportunities um, like jobs, conferences, speaking opportunities, things like that. Awesome. And with Black Tech Twitter and Black Tech Pipeline, what was your inspiration for creating those? So it's kind of funny because I didn't purposely create Black Tech Twitter. That happened unintentionally. I just wanted to see... Um, who looked like me in tech. And I put out a tweet that just happened to catch fire and got a lot of traction and responses by Black people in the tech industry. So it kind of brought together this whole community that I didn't know was out there. As for Black Tech Pipeline, that was created to centralize everything for Black Tech Twitter. I wanted a place where people could go to continue again, just, you know, getting resources and information and, um, collaborating with people who look like them. So I created, uh, there's a newsletter, there's a Slack community, there's a Discord community, and it's all for the Black community in the tech industry. For my listeners who would be interested in joining, where can they find all of this information? So for Twitter, you can on you can go to my profile at Paris Athena, and the Black Tech Twitter thread is pinned to my profile still. And you can go in there and just follow literally everyone Um who's part of Black Tech Twitter, and to uh, network within that thread. You can also join the Slack community and Discord community, which is in my bio, I believe, or you can just join the newsletter and I have links there. Um, But it's also in the thread on my profile. So there's numerous ways to kind of find your way into the community, especially just by DMing me and asking or anyone within the thread. And one thing I want to go back and touch on is you mentioned that you were looking for Blacks who were in the tech industry. And I know you didn't originally start off in tech, but I did want to know, as someone who is new and you're in tech, why is it so hard to find other people that look like you in the industry? 
this industry is just it's dominated by you know white males but then after that it's like just white women it's people who don't look like us it's just dominated by people who do not look like us in general mm-hmm. so it's if i don't see you at work if i don't see you at meetups i go to or conferences especially depending on the area you're in like i'm in boston you know i don't see a lot of people who look like me in these environments so I wasn't aware of how many people who do look like me are actually in this environment. And, you know, that's what that one tweet, it brought exposure like to that community. So it's really dependent on where you're located. I mean, if you're in ATL and in the tech industry, that's, they have a big tech scene there and dominated by a lot of people who look like us. So that's different. But I think a lot of us come from places where it's just dominated by white people, to be honest. (laughs) put it bluntly. And we love honesty here. So you be as honest as you want to be. So you mentioned you're from Boston. A lot of people in the Boston tech scene don't look like you, but what is the Boston tech scene like? Give me some details. I feel like it's growing. I think it's growing in terms of, to me, it's like meetups, but when it comes to actually like working on the job, I don't see that progressing as quickly or as much, I don't think there's as much initiative in in that aspect of like literally getting people who look differently and um, come from different backgrounds into the workspace. And that's all due to the supposed pipeline problem that doesn't actually exist. So yeah, I don't know. There, there's still a lot of work to be made, trust me. Oh, I think there's a lot of work to be made, even from a worldwide perspective when it comes to the pipeline. But since you brought it up, and I know this is a topic you speak about a lot, let's talk about the Black tech pipeline. Everyone thinks that it's because there's no talent out there. But what is your perspective? I think people aren't working hard enough to even look for, um, you know, people that come from different backgrounds. I feel like it's, they go, oh, well, we're not getting enough candidates who are, uh, you know, from the person of color background, let's just say. We're not getting enough candidates in our pipeline. Therefore, they're not out there. And that's where they stop. They don't make an effort to actually go out and search for us. And I think that's the problem. People don't, people talk about diversity and inclusion and, but they don't go to the lengths it takes to actually find people from those diverse backgrounds. And what I'm finding is that they're stopping at women, just women. So, you know, I worked Mm. at a startup, actually every company I've worked at, they they swore they were so diverse and so inclusive and this and that, but it's because they have a bunch of white women. That for me, me walking into that environment and you telling me you're diverse, I don't think so. Like I see no one who looks like me. Like, yes, I'm a woman, but still I can't relate to all these women who they've come from they look exactly like each other. They some of them come from the same backgrounds. For me, it's not like that, but they're not thinking about me because it's it's not really their problem. You know what I'm saying? And I think that's the problem. They just don't put the effort into actually looking. For sure. And it goes back to the old saying, I don't know if you've ever heard this, but it's like meet people where they are. They don't even try to no. meet us where we are exactly, or to understand where we are. Exactly. Because there's so many great events, like there's Afrotech. There's events, especially if you're on the East Coast, like New York area, there's events every other day, if not every day, that they could be going to and meeting people of color at these events. There's people of color who are speaking about tech and there's too many events 
resources, people out here for companies to still be saying we're diverse and not have a single black person. Right. And I honestly feel like it's because they just they don't they don't care enough. That's a that's like a personal agenda. Like if you know, you just you're, you don't want to after work, you don't want to go to those events like you just want to go home or you want to go out with your friends. Like, you know what I'm saying? They're not putting in that time, energy or even money to just go out and search for people who look differently. People of color. They're not they're just not doing it. And I don't think there's really any excuse besides like, you know, I literally don't want to put in the time. I would rather not. I have better things to do. So that's what I try to explain to employers and what I get in return each time is like, you know, we we want to hire people who look differently. It's just that we can't we can't promise that a role goes to someone who looks like that because that puts the company in a weird space. And for me, it's like, okay, but then you're going to consistently have this problem where you're hiring the same type of people, you know? I don't know. But, I mean, this is this is a deep topic. Like I I can go into like the specifics of like these people want, you know, gra- the CS graduates whatever. Like they're looking for something very specific. And I can have someone of color who maybe graduated from a boot camp and they can code, like they can do just a good just as good of a job as a CS graduate, but because they're not willing to let down the whole CS degree, they're going to go with that person. But that person looks just like everyone else they've already hired. Like they're not willing to be flexible, you know? And that's another problem. So I don't know. It, it goes deep. Touching on boot camps, though, the way that you got into tech was, and you could correct me if I'm wrong at any point, you went to a boot camp because originally you started off, you wanted to do some screenwriting, right? And then you did some esthetician work. And then you somehow found yourself in the wonderful world of tech. So tell my listeners your journey. Yeah. So I started off wanting to act, um, write and direct movies. So I went to school in New York for film and screen studies. And then after that, I moved to LA to try to become an actress. Mm -hmm. It didn't work out. So I moved back to Boston and I became an esthetician and I, um, I enrolled in school for makeup artistry. And when I was in school, I realized that I actually hate doing makeup, but I was really good at waxing. So I, after graduating, I got a job as a wax specialist and I did that for three years. But during that three years, I also enrolled into an online program for school to get my, um, I wanted to get my bachelor's in marketing, but after getting my associates, I actually, this is like, Obama was in office at this time. So there was just a lot of talk about kids and technology and learning to code and STEAM and the STEM programs. And so I I just got curious about it. And I ended up asking my college counselor. She was explaining to me how important it is and that I should, um, if I wanted to learn that there's this program called Resilient Coders, which takes people from underserved communities and pays them and teaches them to learn to code. So I ended up uh, going to one of their hackathons and they chose me to, uh, take part in their program for eight weeks. And so I quit my job. I already finished my associate's degree. I I did the program and then I kind of took off from there after learning to code. I learned front end web development for eight weeks. And after that, I got an internship at an advertising agency in the info and tech department. Then I got my first job as a software engineer, got laid off second job as a software engineer and I left there <laughs> and then and now I'm working for a remote company 
So we have a little bit to unpack there. For my listeners out there who are wondering if that's the route they should take or how successful a boot camp is, I want you to just describe your experience. So for instance, would, let's start with, would you recommend going to a boot camp to someone who's trying to get into tech? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think you should try before investing into a four year degree. I think that you should look into boot camp programs, their success rates, you know, people who have already graduated from those boot camps or are they now like really do your research because, you know, a boot camp may be your way out of, you know, not finding yourself in debt, getting um, your career off the ground quicker. I'm all about boot camps. I'm all about them. And you are so right about not being in debt. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. I I think a lot of people, though, still have that mindset of like the four year degree. And I'm like, I always tell people, no, no, no. Look at let's look at some certification routes, some boot camp routes before you go and spend all that money, because getting a degree is expensive these days. It is. And I don't think I I know so many students who are like, yeah, I'm going to go to school. I don't really know what I want to do, but I'm just going to do it. And it's like, whoa. You, do you know like what happens after you graduate and then those loans kick in? You should really do your research before just saying, yeah, I'm just going to do it, whatever. You know, you could be saving yourself so much time and money. Yes, I definitely agree. And also in regards to a boot camp, can you speak to your experience in regards to what you learned at the boot camp and kind of like the structure and coursework that you did? Sure. So keep in mind, I didn't know, I didn't even know what coding was. I was totally new to coding. Um, so I was learning front end web development. I didn't get to choose what I learned. That's just what they were teaching. And that's, I didn't even, I didn't know like back end and design. Like I didn't know all these things existed. So they were teaching front end web development. So HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. Um, the program was super, super intense because you're learning so much information in a span of eight weeks. Um, and this bootcamp also had this thing called Cliff Weeks where you could get kicked out of the program if you didn't turn in your work on time. So super intense, lots of, you know, wireframing. We would look at websites and recreate them. We would take newspapers, recreate newspapers online, lots of tests. We had to go out and network all the time. We had to go to tons of meetups, uh, tons of conferences. We had to have coffee chats. We had to grow our network on our own. Um, So it it was a crazy eight weeks, but I learned a lot and it worked out. It worked out for a lot of us. A lot of us either got jobs after or internships. Um, So, you know, I kind of owe my success to my boot camp. So it sounds like the boot camp not only set you up for your hard skills, so learning to program and work and doing things that so it's similar to a work environment, but it also helped you with the soft skills. So networking knowing what meetups were good, especially in that particular area, that kind of thing. Am I right? Exactly. We had to get every week, we had to get um, a certain number of business cards. And every week we had to have a number of coffee chats set up. There's even a week in the boot camp where you have to understand what it's like to freelance. So they actually put you in a scenario where you have to go out find your own client, get someone to pay you to build them either a website or like a landing page, something really simple. And you kind of just start understanding what it's like to be a freelancer and working with a client and, you know, putting a price on whatever work you're creating. It just puts you in real life scenarios. So I don't know, it was very educational. (laughs) Yeah, that's real deep. 
I know some people who have done boot camps and they're set up very similar, but not to that extent. So they really were setting you up for like the real deal. When you get out here, you're going to know what to expect. Oh yeah. Taught, it taught all of us a lot of independence, which I love. I, I handholding in a program like that, you know, after you leave, I don't see how someone could be so successful. So I love the fact that we learn to be independent and kind of survive on our own. And for my listeners, I do want to reiterate the name of the boot camp. And is it only in Boston or is it across the United States? It's only in Boston right now called Resilient Coders. Thank you. And from your perspective, now that you've been in the industry for a while, do you know any other boot camps that you would recommend? I know. Uh, I mean, there's there's so many. But the, and the one I think that people really know about the most is Lambda School. I, I know Lambda School is super successful because it's a longer program. I think it's either nine months or six months, something around that range. It's a very long program. Um, and they teach mm-hmm. you everything. I know so many students who have graduated from Lambda School and they are ex- they are so impressive. Um, the thing with Lambda School is that I know you have to pay pay an amount back after you get a job within a certain that gives you a salary within a certain range. So, mm-hmm. you know, there are other programs besides Lambda School, you know, where you won't have to pay back so much money. But I don't know, just do your research. I I would suggest getting onto Career Karma because they choose the best program for you to fit your needs in the way you learn. Career Karma and Landa School. I will make sure to have that in the show notes so that people can easily access both of those resources. So to continue on your journey, so you go to the boot camp, you graduate and you start your internship. What was that experience like? The internship was interesting because I got to experience what it's like to be on a real team, a team of developers. Um, So my team was all uh, white men. So that was very different for me just because I'm coming from a boot camp where I'm surrounded by people of color. And then I, I leave there to go into an internship where I no one looks like me. They're not even women. So that was it was a different environment, but I did learn a lot, not only about technology, but also about marketing, advertising, working with clients, client meetings, testing. You know, I, I kind of got to experience what it's like just to work in corporate. And it was just very different, I think it set me up for my first job because you know in the the boot camp a boot camp is going to be different from like literally working on the floor so that's what that internship really set me up for like you know going to client meetings how to even act in meetings what questions to ask how to present yourself like it taught me all of that and it was that that's what that was very important because um in my boot camp you know we while we do did have meetings like client meetings and things like that it was more, it felt more comfortable. It felt, it felt more, um, not so, how can I explain it? Almost like natural, more. Yeah. Like natural. I, I didn't feel like I didn't have, like have to be myself. I was surrounded by people who understood me, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes. Very, yes. very like a family, family oriented type of environment where I just kind of felt comfortable. And then yeah. when you're outside of that environment, it's like, okay, like, now it's time to act extremely professional, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I was happy to do that at an internship because with an internship, I felt like 
there's more leeway to kind of mess up and learn. Whereas if I went straight into a job, it just wouldn't have turned out as successful, I guess. So how long did you stay at the internship? It was just for the summer. It was from June to August. So not too long. And what was one of your greatest lessons learned at your internship? I think that marketing is extremely important when it comes to a product. Interesting. Um, okay. Yeah. I mean, cause I, I interned at a, at an advertising agency, right? Um, but a product really, it doesn't matter how good a product is. If your marketing isn't on point, it's going to be really hard to get users to, to gain revenue. Like marketing is everything. It's, it's just very important. I think that opened my eyes to a lot. So I'm intrigued by this. Is there like one or two tips that you can tell my listeners regarding marketing that you learned or that you even implement and have within your repertoire today? Uh, So you want to, I think testing is very important. You want to test. So when you have a product, you want to test, you know, who is, first of all, who is your user? What do they literally look like? What, what background do they come from? You know, why are they using your product? And that's going to help you market on the right platforms. And then even when you market on the on the right platforms, you want to test to see where those users, you know, where are each of your users coming from? Like which platform is bringing you the most traffic? Because then that's going to help you with budgeting and financing and making sure you're not wasting money on advertising on all these different platforms when it could just be one or two that are bringing you the most traffic. I think like those are super, super important because it has to do with saving money because a lot of startups go under by not understanding um, that type of information. They just put their money anywhere and that's how you're going to lose a business. And I think we've seen it firsthand. A lot of businesses go under based on their lack of marketing or their marketing that just didn't really hit with their particular audience. So I think those are really good tips. So you'll finish your internship and then what happens next? I get, (laughs) so in between that, I, so I, my internship was from June to August and I didn't get a job until December. So in between that, it was a lot of imposter syndrome, being depressed, thinking I wasn't going to get a job because I was applying everywhere. And, you know, I just kept getting denied. Um, I couldn't pass my code challenges. It was just like a really darker time for me in between those months but let's what? talk about that a little bit because yeah. i'm sure that a lot of people who are coders go through that stage and right. i know the tech community in general imposter syndrome is such a huge thing right now and it's thing it's something we're talking about but i'm not sure that it's something that we are dealing with well yet and i know that's hard to say because imposter syndrome is an internal feeling, but it's just like so many people I know personally have that. So let's start off with defining what imposter syndrome is. Mm -hmm. So imposter syndrome is literally thinking that, you know, you're not good enough. You don't have more value. You don't have value over maybe someone else comparing yourself to others, comparing your journey to other people's journeys. Um, and just sort of convincing yourself that this isn't for you, that's imposter syndrome because it's just not true. 
your journey is going to be different than everyone else's. So that may mean that maybe you get ahead quicker. Maybe you get ahead a little more slowly. Um, it doesn't matter. You're going to get there. But again, everyone's journey is different. So for me, I could not, when it came to whiteboarding and co-challenges, that's where I lacked. I, you know, that's where all of my confidence just disappeared. And it showed in my results to my co-challenge because I, I couldn't pass them. But what worked for me in particular was actually using my network to get a job. Like I said, everyone has a different journey. You're going to get ahead in different ways. And I don't know, you just kind of, you got to you just figure it out. There's no like, there's no magic formula. From a programmer perspective, it's hard because there's so many people with the skill set now. It is a high commodity job. But do you feel like when you go into these interviews and the whiteboard testing and the different ways that people are interviewing now, do you feel like there's any type of bias? Honestly, I think for me, what the problem was is the employer themselves not understanding my background. So like, for example, I remember for this one big company, they contacted me. They really wanted to work with me. And I, I explained to them, I was like, listen, I've been on your website before and I've looked at your job descriptions and you heavily rely on a CS degree. I'm letting you know right now, I don't know about binary trees. I don't know, you know, all of these crazy algorithms. All I can do is code. I went to a boot camp. This is what I learned. If this isn't what you're looking for, I don't want to go through with the interview process. Like that's just, I, I'm not going to pass it. I know I'm not. And right. Even saying that, that's like imposter syndrome because I don't know what the process consists of. But just just reading their um, job descriptions, I was like, I get what they're looking for. So, you know, these they said, no, no, we, we understand you came from a boot camp. You know, let's do the interview process. Let's get you through. Okay, cool. I do it. The, the first interview is asking me CS heavy questions, asking me to do algorithms. And I said, I said specifically, I was like, I literally said, this is not my background. I don't know. I don't know this information. This is not what I was taught. I came from a boot camp and I already told you what I learned. I don't know, you know, where did that get mixed up in your brain after I told you what I said? You know, and I think that's, that's not my problem. I think that's an employer problem, not right. listening and not understanding. You didn't take the time to, you know, listen, read my resume, like look at my GitHub, look at my projects. I can code. I cannot do all of the this other, you know, computer science heavy uh, stuff. So I think that's a big problem. Employers just not understanding their candidates. I definitely agree. I've been in many positions where I go for an interview and it's just completely different than what you were told when someone initially reached out for the role. And right. it's just crazy, though, that one, kudos to you for being honest from the jump. You said, I don't know this stuff. If we're going to do this, then don't bother me because I told you I don't know this stuff. And yet people still don't listen. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So it's interesting that we all go through that in some way or another. But one thing I think, and you can tell me if this is a lesson learned for you, is listening to your gut. If you're reading this description and you feel like it's probably not a good fit. It's probably not a good fit. Right. I know. I feel like sometimes I can be hypocritical because I do tell people, you know, even if it, even if a job description says this and that, 
still apply to it. Oh, now, for sure. I think, but what I think what you can do after that is if you do get on a call with, with a recruiter from the company or whoever, I think that's where you can explain like, hey, on that first initial call, hey, I applied to this role because I believe I can do this, this, and this, but I will be transparent with you. I, you know, this is my background. This is what I've learned. This is how long, you know, I've been coding and, and, you know, focusing on this framework or this language, whatever, you know, just, just be transparent with them. And then that can kind of change the interview process for you. Mm-hmm, definitely. I say go for it. Just, you know, you have to uh, shape, shape it to be for you. Exactly. And even if the job turns out to not be a good fit for you, I do also look at it this way. At least you had a time to practice your interviewing skills because you're going to have to keep interviewing if you're looking for a job. So at least you will, it's not a full waste of time. Exactly. Lessons learned. Yes. But let's continue on your journey. So you have no job from August to December. And then what happens? And then someone from my network reached out to me. And they said, hey, are you looking for a job? And I said, yes. Then he told me, oh, cool. I have my friends are over at the startup and they're looking to hire a junior front end web developer. And his friends were the uh, CTO and like a senior engineer. And so he introduced me to them. I went to their office. We talked a bit. They asked me to do like a simple map function. And then I just got the job. It was literally... Just like that, very straightforward, very fast. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that's the benefit of having a network and creating relationships is that it can literally be that easy. And that's why networking is so important. Yes. One of my previous episodes, I had a tech recruiter on and he was explaining the importance of your network and then also being referred in. We love to try to go into a company through a cold process and by cold process, I mean, trying oh, to no, blindly applying. Yeah. Instead of trying to be referred in, this is the second time that's been mentioned this season. Everyone listen up. We need to be referred into these companies, reach out to people, even if you haven't talked to them for like three years or you weren't the best of friends, because that is how people are getting jobs being it's- referred in and who they know. Yeah, you need to. So the, so the thing, remember when I said I, I had to get business cards every week for my boot camp. So when I got a business yeah. card, I would email that person and I'd say, hey, it was great meeting you. You know, I hope to stay in contact. And I would add them on LinkedIn. When they would post on LinkedIn, I would like it. Maybe I would comment sometimes. Like I would build those relationships. I would keep in contact one way or another, whether it's actually, you know, having a conversation back and forth or as simple as liking something they post. I wanted them to know that I'm there. I want you to remember me because I don't know when further down the line, I may need you. You may need me. I don't know. But that's, it's just that important because it can be so simple as, you know, just getting referred into a company and not needing to go through that entire interview process. Good tips. So you get referred in, you're at this startup. What is startup life like? Startup life. (laughs) It's, it's um it's like fun and terrifying at the same time. So <laughs> you are growing because it's also the startup I was at was so small. I think it was about what 30 people and the tech department was only 3 people. Wow. Yeah, so I got to see my work. I was very involved in all these processes of design, even marketing, um just contributing ideas to help this company grow and sustain itself. 
you're there when you get funding. Like if you get a few million, you're there partying with everyone. You're excited. Now you're on a new journey to, again, just um, growing the company, thinking of new ideas, being able to collaborate with, with every department. I don't know. It's just, it's a good time. But then there's the part of a, of a startup, which is also the part I also um, had to go through which is layoffs, losing money, not being able to afford things like, like employees. Mm-hmm. So I was there for layoffs. Um, and I was one of the people that did get laid off near my one year anniversary. I mean, it just happens. That's, that's startup life. And that's sort of like the excitement of it, I guess. You just don't know what's going to happen until you get there. You're literally part of you know making this dream realistic. Right. And uh, let's touch on layoffs because I've gone through that too. I was working for a company where I was working remote and I was laid off and layoffs sometimes come as a surprise. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you can see it coming, but how do you even begin to navigate that? Because I know for me, it was like a shock and I was going through a time where I had a family member who had cancer. So it was like trying to navigate balancing all that. But for you, what was your layoff situation like? So I knew it was coming because for months it was people were either, they would say people are quitting. I knew they were being laid off though, because it was just too many people at a time. So mm-hmm. I felt like every few weeks, someone was leaving. Someone was, found a new opportunity supposedly. Um, you know, and then I had gone on vacation for a week. And then when I came back, my CTO told us that he found another opportunity. So he was leaving. And then the other senior engineer said he found a new opportunity. So he was leaving, which only left me a junior developer. I was like, there's no way they're going to keep me here because I don't have management now. And so when I, you know, they booked a meeting with me, the president of the company said, hey, we need to go over some um, tasks in the pipeline. And I was like, why is the president emailing me about tasks? She knows nothing about tech. Mm-hmm. So, so I knew, I knew that that was going to be the meeting where they laid me off. So, you know, I got into the meeting, the project manager came in with her. And as soon as we sat down, the project manager just said, uh, we're letting you go. And that's it. Like, it wasn't a nice layoff, even though I knew it was coming. Um, so I wasn't shocked. I was actually pretty relieved. You know, my experience at that company wasn't the best. So um, it was kind of like a breath of fresh air for me personally. Don't you love those situations where it's like, I was so happy. (laughs) And it's like when you, cause when you're in the situation, obviously you think about a lot of things. There's okay. I need money to pay these bills. So I can't really just quit or be laid off. But then like looking for a job is a job itself. How do you balance that? But when someone lets you go and you're in a place (laughs) that you didn't really want to be, Oh, it's like a huge weight is lifted off your chest. Yeah. I, when I tell you, I walked out that building, I was like, I am so happy. I don't ever have to walk back in there again. I was so happy. And I think that's, you don't want to be in a place that's toxic like that because it's just not good for your health. Um, so yeah, I was sort of grateful, but then of course it's job hunting. So yeah. Right. What's your strategy for job hunting? I, I use my network again. I was like, you know what? I'm not going to apply anymore. I'm going to use my network. So I had asked a few people, you know, if they're hiring, if, you know, what's going on. And I did get someone, another startup 
but they were a really, really startup. Like they don't have a location or anything. They're just starting. Mm-hmm. They wanted me to help build their website. And so I did that for a bit, but then I actually got hit up by one of my friend's friend who was looking for a digital agency here in Boston. And I applied. I went for an interview. One interview was just a conversation and then they just hired me. And so I, the person I was sort of like freelancing for that startup, I told them that I got another offer. I left doing that. And then I started at the digital agency. So again, my network came in, came in handy. So, so how was your experience at the digital agency? It it wasn't bad, but it wasn't good. It was a lot more organized than coming from the startup. Um, but once again, I was, I don't even know if I mentioned this, that at the startup I was at prior, I was the only person, the only black person and the only person of color in the entire company. And then going to the digital agency again, I was the only person of color. And I was kind of sick of that. I couldn't really relate to anyone. It was hard to like build relationships. I tried. It's just, it, I, no one could relate to me. I couldn't relate to them pretty much. And I don't know, there was, I felt like there were a lot of bias. I think my facial expression made people stay away from me <laughs> because I think I always look angry. It was just a very odd experience as for feeling like I'm part of the company. I'm part of this. Um, I'm part of these relationships. I never felt that way. I don't know. I, I I didn't love it to be honest. It was one of those jobs where I was really excited to like get up and go to the bathroom because I wouldn't be around anyone. I'd like be by myself. So how do you navigate being in that type of environment? Because we've all been there where we take a job, we think it's a fit, and then we get there and we're like, oh hell no. Like I tried. I tried eating lunch. Like I would eat lunch with my team, um, but our I don't know the convert. I would, it was more of me listening to conversations than actually engaging with them because they weren't they weren't talking about things I could relate to. Um, right. And then a lot of the time, like I would barely work at my desk. I would try and work in just spaces around the office where I could be more alone and secluded. You know, I had different Slack channels, like for my boot camp that I came from. We had a Slack channel, so I would talk to people in there and sort of I'd feel more at home in that Slack channel because I'm speaking to people who know me and understand me. But overall, it was a, I just felt like it was a very lonely experience, which I was used to after coming from that other startup. So I don't even think I handled it in the best way. It, for me, it was like, I have to come here to get paid and that's it. And I hate that. I That's so unhealthy. I just, ugh, I don't know. I don't recommend it. But I know it's something a lot of people go through. So unhealthy. And it it, man, it just takes a toll on your mindset. I've been in a similar situation, so I understand. But that just takes such a toll on your well-being. You just always feel depleted because right. you have to go to the space where you don't even feel welcomed and try to make the best of it. And I put, say, the best of it with air quotes because there's no really best of it for you in that particular situation. Right. And it just it made me so angry because I'm like, no one else here has to deal with that but me. And I'm the only person who looks like me, um, right. you know, and, and, and no one's going to point that out because it's not their problem. You know, this is my problem. I'm on my own with it. Right. So that sucks. Yeah. So how did you end up leaving that toxic situation? Okay. So the week I started at that job, mm-hmm. 
And that same week is when Black Tech Twitter took off. When that when I put out that tweet and it took off. And honestly, I couldn't even after that tweet took off, I couldn't even focus a hundred percent of like my mind on the job because of Black Tech Twitter and how much it it just literally changed my life. And I had to end up quitting the digital agency because Black Tech Twitter was taking up a, just so much of my time. And that's what I wanted to focus on anyway. That was what was important to me. And, you know, even though our relationships at that job, people, they knew about Black Tech Twitter and they were supportive of my decision. I don't know if they were supportive because they truly believed in the cause or they were supportive because they didn't feel like I was part of the environment anyway, you know, but they were like, you know, we wish you the best. This is a really, you know, great movement and we hope to see see it take off even more. So I ended up leaving about six months into the job. Kudos to you for putting your energy somewhere else, somewhere where you felt fulfilled and that you felt happy because a lot of people stick with that particular job until it drains them all the way out to 0%. So once you left there and you're focusing on Black Tech Twitter, what happens next? A lot of my days were filled with a lot of um, writing and researching. I was doing podcasts. I was doing interviews. I was taking meetings. I was doing things I've never done before because I'm not I'm not a business person. And <laughs> I kind of didn't know what I was doing. I was just like, all right, well, I'm just going to book up my, you know, I'm going to book up my calendar with, you know, all of these requests. And that's what I did. And um I don't know. It was just me. It was a whole learning experience, really. But through, what is it? I left in April. I think during, so during that time where I was still at the digital agency, I actually saw a job posting for a remote job. And it was for, you know, junior developers who also wanted to work on like things like hiring engineers and just more, a a more conversational role where I'm like actually talking to people and doing more than just coding. And I found it interesting. And the founder of that company was actually following me. So I was like, oh, cool. I'm just going to apply. And like, I'm going to let him know that I applied. So you know, I let him know. We got on a call. I went through the interview process where I would kind of talk to everyone in the company. It was a, It's a startup. So it was, it was short. Um, I went through the interview process and I ended up getting the job. So you know, when I left the digital agency, I kind of already had something up my sleeve, but I was also in a position where this job that hired me, they they were already very supportive of Black Tech Twitter and Black Tech Pipeline. So they also wanted me to work on that. So I kind of have the best of both worlds where I'm, you know, doing what I absolutely love. And then I also have this job where, you know, I love my team. I think it's really cool what I'm doing because I get to, I get to do a whole bunch of things. I wear so many different hats. I do marketing hiring. I do um, a little bit of coding. So I feel like I just got really lucky that the timing worked out very well. I'm so happy you found something that was not only a good fit for you, but also supports Black Tech Twitter because there's so many times that I've heard people work at a particular job and they don't support your side business. So I'm glad you found something that not only supported you, but is a good fit for you career-wise too. Yeah, thank you. And I do want to know, what is your official title now? <laughs> because you're wearing so many different hats. Oh, man, that's hard because now I'm also in a transition to like marketing, 
and taking lead on their social media and all that. So uh, I'm a platform and hiring team member and marketing lead. Okay. So how do you balance your, what I'll call your day job and then your after five job? It's hard because I'm, you know, a lot of the time I'm doing my after five job during my nine to five job. Um, you know, I have to make meetings with people during their work time, you know, because what I do for Black Tech Pipeline is I talk to different companies who want to diversify their um, work environments and they want to fill their roles with diverse candidates. So dig into the Black Tech Twitter community to see who would be a great fit for these specific roles for this specific company, mm-hmm. you know, and I get referral, like referral codes. And um, I speak with conference organizers who want more diverse speakers and I'm referring speakers to them. Like I'm doing a whole lot of work kind of all the time. So it's really a mix. It's I'm doing my, both of my nine to fives at the same time, if, if that makes sense. No, your role is so unique because you're doing a little bit of everything and it involves soft right. and hard skills. So I will ask for people who are looking to get into coding and get in a position that you are in, what skill set and technologies do you think they need to know to succeed? My advice for, you know, coding wise, if you want to get into coding. Um, hmm, well, for me, I so I'm a React, React and React Native developer. And my, my nine to five job literally only um, interviews React, React Native engineers. So I'm always within um, that framework, like a JavaScript developer. So that's kind of where I am, like the technology wise. And obviously React is a super popular framework. So, you know, that's, that's a JavaScript library. So JavaScript engineer all the way is what I would say, but I don't, I'm just being biased. Um, but to, yeah. So if you, I guess if you want to learn to code and maybe you enjoy, you know, more visual, more visual things, I guess you'd want to get into front end web development just because you are taking designs and bringing them to life. Like I consider myself a front end developer. So that's, I guess if that's what kind of keeps your interest, that's what you would do. It's really hard to, it's kind of hard to say. And that's what, I guess that's, and get in and do what sort of what I'm doing. But again, if you're new to the tech industry and you want to get into it, I really think you should, again, research all of the different fields within the industry because there's so many, like you don't only have to code. You can, you can do a whole lot of things. So just do your research and find out what piques your interest and then kind of deep dive into that. All right. So I have one last question for you. Starts yeah. to the future of getting more people of color into tech. Do you see that improving in the future and how and why? Absolutely. It's yeah. I think more people are catching on to, first of all, how important it is to have a technological background. The just being in this industry, how it does um, improve and change lives. Um, you know, and I think people are becoming more aware that so like for me, because I wanted to be an actress, like I would have never thought about getting into tech, but also wanting to be an actress, I wasn't making enough money. I wasn't, I just wasn't making enough money to sustain myself. So I think people are realizing that they can get into an industry that pays them enough to not only sustain themselves, but also their, 
their uh, dreams, their goals, their their passions. And I guess that's also that's also a piece of advice is that you know getting transitioning into an industry besides doing what you're passionate about full time. I know a lot of black people who really want to be like rappers or basketball players or you know kind of something something in that domain where it's like you are either in the spotlight you're doing you're you're being creative kind of in that in that way um or you know wanting to be famous wanting just wanting that sort of life and i think that's great i think that's totally fine but I think it's important to also remember how many people actually make it, how many people actually get to that point. And, you know, it, it could be a while. Realistically, it may never happen. It doesn't mean you should give up. I think it just means you need to have a backup plan. And your backup plan should at least be something that is going to, you know, make it so affordable for you that not only can you um, feed your passion, but you can also like live this life of, you know, traveling and I don't know, kind of doing, doing more than just um, paying bills, I guess. So when you shelf your dream, it's not that you're giving up, you're just putting your plan B in motion. Thanks for listening to Black Tech Unplugged, episode 34 featuring Paris Athena. I'm Dina McKay, and you can find the podcast on all social media sites under Black Tech Unplugged. If you're sharing with friends, make sure to use hashtag Black Tech Unplugged and tag me on your post. If you haven't already, please go subscribe to the podcast on the platform that you're listening to the episodes on. And if you have a few extra minutes, make sure to leave a five-star review too. It would help me out a lot and help other people find the podcast. So until next time.